Hi, and welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drukarsh. I've been a successful agent in Canada's largest market for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of over 5,800 agents and growing. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast, and it's been a remarkable opportunity to meet highly successful and interesting guests in real estate and in related fields. And today's guest is just one of those people. It's Sherry Larjani. Before we introduce Sherry, I want to read a bit about all of her accomplishments. Sherry is an experienced real estate developer and an entrepreneur. In 2010, she created Spotlight Developments, which specializes in the acquisition of properties for redevelopment into high-density residential, commercial, and mixed-use projects. In 2019, Sherry partners with Urban Capital to create Reina, a project with Canada's first all-female development team to raise awareness of gender inequality in the industry and the many roles that women can play. Sherry has partnered with many major developers, including Liberty Development, Urban Capital, and others, as she continues her very, very well-known real estate industry. So Sherry, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. How did I do with your intro? You did pretty good. <laughs> okay, thanks. So what, what I want to do is go through some questions that, you know, that, that I have and, and our viewers have about our guests. And, and the, the one that most people seem to be interested in is, were there entrepreneurs in your family? Um, yes, there were, but none of them were in the real estate world. So okay. my father was an entrepreneur. He started at a very young age, but he was in the import export business. And at that time, um, you know, he was mainly involved in business, um, whatever we could, you know, call business at that time. So uh, he doesn't... Um, he had no involvement in the real estate industry, but um, I guess I picked that up from him. Um, and um, that's basically how I see it myself. I think, and a lot of our guests come, from, I'd say the majority come from an entrepreneurial background, not necessarily real estate, but they've, yes. they've been in a family where there was no employer. You know, yeah. this, this, no, is, the, this is the mindset. Yeah. So, so. And before you launched uh, Spotlight, what, what were you doing prior to that? So uh, prior to that, I uh, obviously went to university um, and I did um, a couple of years, uh, one and a half years, two years at York University, following the wishes of my father, trying to become a doctor or a dentist, which is his wish always. And I kind of pursued that uh, throughout my high school. And then I eventually went into uh, the program, a biology program at York University. I absolutely hated it. So one day I came to my father and I said, you know what, this is just not working for me and I'm not going to go to school anymore because this is not what I want. Mm -hmm. So I, um, he gave me a six months period that I had in order for me to get into any of the programs that were related to architecture, civil engineering, or any of those programs in one of the universities. And he said, if you get into one of those programs, I'll let you go. Uh, but if you don't, you're going to go back and you're going to become either a doctor or a dentist. And um, that six months was all I had. So I worked really hard and I got into not only architecture, but civil engineering and a couple of universities that I applied. And um, that's about it. So I studied at university, finished uh, my basically finished with school, went and worked for at that time, one of the 
high-end residential uh, architects, um, Gordon Ridgely architect who passed away a couple of years ago. And um, that was my, uh, and before that, I shortly worked at, at, a, at an office called Mesbrand and Smith Architect, which they were doing like mainly cinemas and theaters. I had a very short span of um, time that I worked for anyone. And it was my first experience working in an office or working for someone. And I came out and, um, you know, it just wasn't for me. Um, you know, working in an architectural firm or in an office just wasn't for me. It wasn't satisfying enough and I needed to get out. So I um, I was lucky enough that I had obviously a family that believed in me, but more than anything, I had a father-in-law who was an entrepreneur and I had just married into their family. And I think he saw that in me and he said, you know what? Uh, go ahead. Uh, I'll invest in you. Mm. Go and you know buy a property and build it, and let's see how you do. And basically, that's how my um, my business started. That's that's where everything started. Wow, that's a lot of uh, a lot of confidence in you. So you must have really you must have really uh, projected confidence as well. I, I guess so. Whether, whether you <laughs> should ask it. him that, but I, but yeah. he did he did have that confidence. So you know. Um, he put me out there and and um, the rest is history. You know, I just, I worked at it and I got it to where it is now. Going back to what your father gave you as options, um, I was listening to another podcast uh, where the parents, uh, or the father actually, was also, this was a first generation family. And the mm -hmm. options the father gave uh, the daughter were three things, uh, doctor, lawyer, or failure. <laughs> you know what lawyer wasn't in my dad's okay. uh, in my dad's uh, book of uh, professions for okay. me yeah. uh, even though I kind of pushed because I thought that might be something that would appeal to him and I eventually actually got my brother to go into law school yeah. but for me it was just a doctor or a dentist and you know his his ideology was that um, wherever you go that education goes with you and you can be um, mm. a doctor anywhere in the world which you know living in Canada we can see that it doesn't really work that way mm -hmm. but it was just his ideology um so i wish lawyer was one of, on the list but it wasn't well you've got one in the family so you're yes, you're okay so becoming a developer i don't i know there's no direct route i mean there, there's no like go to developer school and you come out with a degree as a developer so what were the steps that got you from finishing school i i mean you you did have a father-in-law who gave you the opportunity but um, from there, um, what was happening in your career? So it's interesting because uh, as I was building those homes and as I was designing, getting the permit, going through the city, I was always interested to understand how, um, you know, these properties are turning into these multi-unit developments and what was that all about. So I think in researching that, um, I sort of put myself through an education by standing at the counter at the planning counter at the city hall often uh, speaking and chatting to the planners and taking properties to them that I would see in the market that were available and just you know going to the offices going to the city hall and and standing at the counter and talking to the planners and constantly asking and going through the zoning kind of, kind of familiarizing myself with what that was all about um, and it's interesting because I always said that um, I I saw a property um, on King Road in Richmond Hill. And at that time, none of the things that's happening there now was happening. So it was, it just was a big piece of land and there was a very old home on it that was for sale. So I uh, took that property and I went to the city hall. Uh, 
I, I just wish I could remember the name of that planner who's now retired at the city of Richmond Hill. But I went to the counter and I took the, those plans and I said, you know, I'm here again. Can you tell me what I can do here? So he actually goes back and he takes out the official plans from, I think it was 1990s. And he brings it out and she says, here, this is what they wanted to do. And this is what they proposed. You see these townhouses facing King Road. This is what they wanted to do. I took that right away. I got the information from him and then I ran back home. And I, you know, at that time I was just newly married. I went to my husband and I said, honey, you wanted a house with a pool. I just found something. You know, my husband wasn't all about the old houses and, mm -hmm. you know, he wanted something that, you know, was easy uh, to maintain. And uh, he, this wasn't something that, you know, he was interested in doing. So my way of convincing him was it has a beautiful backyard and a nice pool. Let's move there. Mm -hmm. And I remember at that time, the poor guy looked at the house and said, this is so old. This is like a 70 year old home. What are we going to do? I said, don't worry, I'll renovate it. So I renovated it and I moved into that house and all of my friends were always calling me crazy saying, where did you move? Like, what are you there? Why are you there? But that was my way of figuring out how to invest in a property because I could have bought that house to live it in order to live in it. But my idea was that I wanted to make sure that it is, you know, a project. So then slowly the next door property came for up for sale so I convinced my father and my father-in-law and I said you guys should buy this I promise you there's going to be a townhouse development here this is my plan this is my idea they both agreed they invested in that property and within I think it was nine months after that six to nine months after that I sold those two properties like twice the price that I had purchased them for with a hundred percent profit. Mm. So I went back to the family and I said, you know what, I'm not giving the money back. <laughs> I'm going to go reinvest it. And, you know, I was lucky enough that they said, go ahead. Cause I guess I had proven to them that I knew what I was talking about and that it was something that I wanted to pursue. Um, so I started buying more properties, doing more assemblies um, and um, slowly looking at, you know, sites, but at that time, I was only looking at, you know, uh, low rise residential, like semis, townhouses and things like that. But my eyes were always uh, on condos and condo sites. But I don't come from a development family. I don't have anyone with that background in the family. So I had to go out there and, you know, the same way I put myself through the education of planning by going to the city hall and constantly asking questions, I had to kind of do um, that, uh, put myself through that education myself as well. So I started cold calling uh, some of the um, developers I knew. And one of them happened to be Fred from Liberty because I knew him through some family friends who knew him. So I ended up at his door and I said, you know, I have this property that I, I'm thinking of buying. And it was my the beer store on 20 River Street, which was my first condo site that I bought. Mm. And um, I think I was persistent enough that he said, if you buy the next door property, we'll come in. That opened the door for me where I was, I got some confidence to go and knock at other doors. So I got into the, into Tridel's boardroom. And to me, because I only knew Tridel at that point, you know, before I knew Liberty, before I knew anyone else, I knew Tridel. That was a very well-known name. And I got a chance to go in their office and they said, sure, Sherry, you, you know, we're going to look at this site. If you actually buy the next door property, they were humble. They were nice. And it, again, it boosted my confidence. And I cold called David Wex from Urban Capital. And I said, I've seen your property on, you know, your River City site and project. I really love it. And I just bought a property on River Street. Would you meet with me? 
And that was one of the best phone calls I've ever made. And I tell everyone that because it ended up being not just a, a partner, but a friend um, with, you know, that I found in, in Urban Capital being Taya or Dave, both of them. So, uh, you know, I eventually ended up doing the deal with Liberty and they were the first at the table and we ended up doing the project and we're still partners. But it basically was me knocking at doors, cold calling, making phone calls and finding myself a seat at the table where, um, you know, I owned a property and I was going there. And I, the only thing I wanted in return was to get a seat at the table um, throughout the process so that I can learn. Mm-mm. And that's how I started with Liberty. And in your company, was there a partner? Did you have a partner? No, no uh, I never had a partner. And and. Uh, is that something you think helped you make your quick decisions? Uh, 100%, because depending on what kind of a partner I had, there might have been steps that, you know, there would have been risks that I would not have taken because there would have been someone there to say no. Um, so I think not having a partner um, and, you know, being the crazy me that I am, I kind of, you know, took those risks, made those calls and, and, you know, got myself um, through the door. I'm not sure if there was a partner involved that would have worked the same way. might have worked better if the partner had absolutely any um, experience. But again, it all depends on what kind of a partner I had. Yeah, and it's interesting in, you know, in business that this is exactly right. You can have partners that it's a synergy. Two people together together are better than individually or it can break down. So you never know. But um, sounds like you, you were so driven without a partner you're going to get it done anyway <laughs> so good for you yeah, yeah I, I, it's funny I tell everyone and everybody's like oh you you want to get that done you're going to get it done and I'm like it's it's interesting because that's how my business started to shape up it was just being persistent wanting to make things happen and and not not stopping um I had a lot of hard days. I had a lot of days where I completely gave up because things weren't working out. You know, you know, the partners I had or were going to be partners couldn't make a decision, couldn't finalize. I had deadlines, but I think um, I stood up and I and I fought for making sure that those happened. So I don't think I regret any of it. And one of the things that the successful people have in their character is being intentional, which is clearly what you have. You knew what you wanted to do, and it wasn't mm-hmm. like you were trying to sort of fish around. You and and I think when you've got intention, it it's it's energy, right? And people could see it. So let's talk a little bit about your company with Spotlight mm-hmm. Development. Um, what's your goal? Like, what was your first goal when you started it, and what's your goal now? My first goal when I started has changed so drastically because I started to, to, to believe in myself and I started to build so much confidence that I could see uh, further ahead of me. Um, I guess everybody says, what's your five-year goal? What's your 10-year goal? What's your 20-year goal? I don't think I've even looked at the five-year goal. I was always looking at that one-year goal where I would get to you know, close on that property, um, create that partnership. And I, you know, I, I think I took it step by step. So originally when I started, obviously with single family homes, it started to grow. It started to take its own shape into, you know, a, 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 a sort of a high end builder, which wasn't satisfying enough. Again, like it just didn't do it for me. So I guess at that point, my dream was to start be, like to, to actually 
be able to call myself a developer rather than a builder. Um, and I think the, the dream I had was to be able to do my first condo or to buy my first condo site. I think after I, that, I, I bought that and I did that, I think everything else started to just look um, achievable and something I could do. And, you know, I, I, I did more and more. And as a uh, developer uh, versus a builder, what, what, are, what are the things that you're most proud of that you've accomplished? There are a lot of things that I'm proud of as a developer because even as a builder, because at the time I started to build single family homes, I think I was one of the few, if if not the one um, young woman that was on a job site, mm-hmm. uh, being um, a site supervisor, a builder, a construction manager, you know, designer absolutely everything on site and sometimes even the cleaner the site cleaner if you know they had left stuff behind and it was bothering me I would clean it up Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever had any shame um, in doing what I wanted to do and you know sometimes in order to get the guys motivated I had to start to pretend like I'm picking up a piece of drywall so they would actually you know get all high and about and come and help me and say oh no 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 you don't move it we'll do it but sometimes I had to take that initiative to actually make that happen so I think even as um, um, a high-end residential builder, I had, I was proud of the fact that I was doing it. I was proud of the fact that I was pr- like basically, um, um, ba- basically doing something that wasn't conventional. You know, it wasn't conventional to see a young girl with pink hat uh, and pink shoes on a job site. You know, sometimes in you know, a few years back. Mm -hmm. So um, it's now becoming more of a norm. But at that time, we were, you know, there weren't many of us. And I see more and more of that happening. As a developer, I think it was also, um, I remember there was a lady's name that I kept on hearing and everybody's like, have you met her? And I said, no. And it's interesting because I was sitting at a land conference yesterday um, because I was speaking at a panel. And after that, I sat at one of the other uh, panels and I happened to see that lady for the first time. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know what? It's been so long and her name still rings a bell in my in my ears because I remember that um, her name was brought up every time I said, you know, I want to be doing this. And they said, have you met her? Have you talked to her? Um, and, uh, you know, when I became a developer, I think being um, a female, standing up um, for what I wanted and fighting for what I wanted was what I was proud of. Proud of. And mm-hmm. I think... Uh, finding my finding a seat at the table and finding a voice was something else that I was very proud of. Um, it, it came with a lot of uh, hardship. It came with a lot of ener- energy that I had to put into it. But at the end of the day, it worked. And I was happy that, you know, the projects that I, I am doing, besides the ones that are, you know, just the regular projects, um, some of them have story and meaning. You know, you mentioned Reina. We shed a light on a problem in our industry. Um, in our development industry, it's male dominated, and it's still male dominated. Even yesterday at the conference, 95% of the attendees were men. And, you know, that's something that we shed lights on, and it got us to um, be able to talk about that and to also showcase all those women that were out there and, and were doing, you know, the work behind the scenes and, you know, bringing them to light. So, I, I think there are a lot of things that I, I have done that at moment at the moment I didn't realize, but now I realize that you know there were proud moments and and I am proud of them. 
And it's interesting because it sounds to me like that wasn't your goal. It just drew. It just grew up from how successful you were, and people saw here's a woman who can be a really good developer. I think so. Um, I think I just. I can't say I fell into this uh, business or this uh, uh, like industry. I f- fought to get there, but when I did get there, I was able to stay there, mm-hmm. and I was able to be recognized as a, a fellow developer. Um, you know, I remember when I was young, every time I, I like a lot younger, I used to hear the name um, developer and the only person that would come to my mind was Trump, you know, and Trump family. And, you know, <laughs> being uh, an older uh, man uh, who comes from a rich family, mm-hmm. it didn't dawn on me that there is an option for me as a woman to be there and mm-hmm. do that. But it just also gave me a lot more motivation to want to do that, just because I didn't know that there are that many women doing it. Um, we're still called unicorn. I was just, you know, I had a um, couple of calls to my office a few months back that, you know, people looking and searching for female developers and they called me and they said, you guys are like unicorn. It's very hard to find you. So it's still something that's happening in our industry. And I'm happy that, you know, we're pioneering at me, my partner, Taya, and, you know, um, um, the other ladies that pioneered before us that just weren't as visible as, you know, we made ourselves visible, um, that I'm sure they went through so much more than we did, um, are out there and, you know, making change, making change happen. Uh, and when I when I was doing my research, I saw there was an article where you were featured in the New York Times, I believe. Yes, and what was, what was <laughs> that, that was the start? highlight of our our you know our Reina project because you know we always said you know what only if we could get into New York Times with the story, mm-hmm. and then it happened. Um, but then what it also have made us realize is that this is not just a national. Uh, Canadian problem. It's a universal problem. It's something that, you know, people want to talk about because um, it's, it's, it's national. It, it's not national. It's, it's, it's everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there are not that many countries that we know that have female developers and us being our neighbor, there aren't that many either. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it was a story that was picked up by, um, by New York times and Oprah magazine and all the rest of the publications that wrote about it. So that's, uh, I mean, talk about uh, uh, a, a great promotional and marketing uh, coup. <laughs> Definitely. Doesn't get any better. <laughs> You've worked through a lot of different stages. And one of them, of course, is the pandemic. How, how has that affected your projects and your timing and, you know, your plans? Um, for me, um, on a personal note, it affected me uh, personally um, because as I mentioned, my father was always a very significant part of my life and a significant person as far as someone who raised me um, by himself for, for many years. And um, I lost him in the beginning of COVID before the vaccines were there and he was only 61 years old. So um, in the beginning of the pandemic, I lost him. So <laughs> it kind of made everything sort of worse than they were um, mm-hmm. just because the pandemic started to have uh, a meaning beyond all the problems that it was causing all the families and all the businesses. So it impacted me personally, which obviously reflected on the business. The business was going as usual. I can't say it impacted us. Yes, the construction costs went up. Yes. But then at the same time, the prices that we were selling the condos for went up. So we were lucky that in the construction industry and in, 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 the, in the development industry, 
we were still working, we were still thriving, we were still building, and it wasn't stopped. So I don't think, um, I, and I think that was something that also got me through what I was going through, the fact mm-hmm. that we were still active and we were working. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, I don't think it really, um, it really affected us as far as what the business was all about, but on a personal note, it definitely did. And, and, you know, loss of a parent, it doesn't matter what you're doing. That's a very significant loss. I'm sorry to hear that. That would have Thank been you. devastating. In terms of the development industry, uh, setting aside the gender aspects, how has it changed from when you first started, whether that's technology or, you know, difficulty getting projects through? What would you say the biggest changes are? <laughs> or is it all that? Difficulty getting projects through has always been there and it yeah. still is there. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a lot of advancements of technology, especially the pandemic has speeded it up by to a crazy margin that, you know, some days I, I feel like I have a lot of catching up to do to understand and realize uh, what are the new things that are out there um, and how do we how do we work with them? How do we up, bring ourselves up to date, but it also very much at the light on so many other sy- systematic problems that we have within our industry with regards to housing, with regards to lack of supply, with regards to the problem of affordable housing. And I think all of that were conversations that came on um, became a topic of conversation more and more and more um, as I advanced in the in the industry. And I think as as I got more in in the whole um, uh, the all of the aspects of it. And I've realized that many of it could be, you know, because of many reasons, you know, the planning, the process, the uh, red tags, uh, the uh, bureaucracy, the <laughs> politics and everything else obviously had an effect. And I think I can't say that it has changed by much. What I can say is that I understand it better now and I realize it um, more now, how much of how much of an effect those things could have on, on a project. Mm-hmm. And you're experienced in them now. So that somehow makes, I guess, easier to deal with because you know what's, what it's all about. Um, yes, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. And, and um, in your career, and this could be any part of your career, what was your biggest challenge and what did you learn from it? My biggest challenge? Hmm. I think um, my biggest challenge was um, getting things started, right? Mm-hmm. Coming up with the idea and getting something started and, and, um, and figuring out how to you know as you build a house and you lay the bricks to sort of build something how do you start and how do you put it on on, and and on top of each other and make sure it goes up straight like you have to think about every aspect of it and I think the challenge for me has always been that I think I, I I only saw the end result and the building and the condo and the hype of selling it and and you know having your name on a project I didn't realize all the hard work it takes to buy the property close on it get financing go Mm -hmm. through the financial um you know trouble of putting money together to close the property bring in investors whatever the case may be equity or whatnot I did not realize that the the work that it would take for Mm -hmm. you to take one project from the beginning to an end, then get into construction, get into planning, get it zoned, do all of that. And then on top of that, start construction, start sales, like absolutely everything else. I think I saw a pretty picture in my head of what it was all about. I don't think I saw mm-hmm. all the difficulties and challenges. So I think every part of the business as I grew and I learned became a challenge on its own. Mm-hmm. And obviously you've survived the challenges very nicely. Mm-hmm. 
Um, people are going to wonder, we're in uh, June of 2020, and what are the projects that you're working on now? So my new pride and joy uh, mm -hmm. these days um, uh, is my um, um, affordable project in the city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at everything that was happening, and I think after losing my father and coming, like sort of having that idea embedded in me from him, where, you know, he had that philanthropic side to him that every time he, he the more he made, the more he wanted to go out there and help people. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, I kind of followed um, in his foot, foot, footprints and I um, bought a property at a corner of Black Creek and Lawrence for 3.45 acres of, of land. And then, you know, driving around the area and looking at what was happening there, I obviously knew that there's revitalization that's needed for that area. But what I thought about was there is a need for affordable housing. How do I tackle it? How do I do it? And how do I make an affordable housing project work? So what I've done is we are proposing about 1,400 units of housing, over 1,400 units of housing in this project. We are going to be doing it 70% uh, affordable, and we're going to do a mix of rental and ownership. Because to me, Ownership is the way to get people out of poverty. It's just to teach them that having an asset and owning a property could could get them to, you know, um, build up on that asset, have something that they can they can call their own, and it's the way to move up from being a renter at different situations and different points in your life. So that project is a is my my new project, and you know we are going. We have established a partnership with you know Habitat for Humanity, Black North Initiative, um, Wood Green uh, Community Services. Which do they do our rental? We've also um, are working with Trillium Housing, and we're doing this through our non for profit arm of the project, which is you know to us huge. Now the twist on the story is that. We're selling 70% of these units through these partners and through the not-for-profit arm. The other 30% that we're selling, what we're, use, what we're doing is we're taking the profit from those 30% and feeding off the deepest threshold, the deepest affordable units that we have in, in cross-subsidizing it, basically, um, to feed those, um, those units and, and service those units. Um, we're coming with creative financing and new ideas as to how, help how to help people become homeowners and not, uh, not just, uh, you know, the talk of, you know, keeping them as renters and subsidized housing, but to start them there, but also help them grow. And I have to say thank you to Ian Underwood, the CEO of Habitat, <laughs> who, who put us together. Yes. And I know that, uh, you know, when you mentioned about how owning changes a family's life, I mean, that is really... That's the thing about Habitat. They, they yes. that's what they see, and it, it's just it's there is nothing that equals that. Renting doesn't no. equal that, and hundred percent. And she's as committed as you are. So it sounds like a good even relationship. more and even more experience. And I think her passion sort of rubs off on you. You know, when you mm -hmm. speak with her, um, she gives you guidance, she gives you advice, and it's always sound advice. And um, I'm thankful to her for you know obviously a lot of introductions and a lot of. Um, advice that she's given me since we, you know, she's, since she graciously agreed to be my partner. Oh, that's great. So in your team, um, what are, what are the, let's call it your team members that help you accomplish things and what are the different roles that they have? So I think we have, um, we have obviously the administrative team, you know, the, the, um, 
that help with the uh, you know accounting and, and coordination financing and then we also have uh, the development uh, staff that are helping get the projects through development and you know um, the marketing and communication and then property management because you know some of the properties we buy um, come with tenants and and you know there is a lot of day-to-day -day, uh, that we need to sort of do um, in order to make sure that we, we manage our properties um, up until they're ready for construction and for demolition. So um, these are all the roles that we have currently in the office. And we do outsource a lot of things such as, you know, some of our marketing, our, our public relations um, and our sales. Okay, and as I as I said in the beginning when we first talked, I try to keep this to thirty minutes, particularly if you're a developer. There's probably so many people waiting for you. But before we do the last questions, I want to thank Adam Price for pointing out I said twenty twenty, and in fact it's June twenty twenty two. Oh wow, yes, I so, didn't even catch that. Right, so. neither of us did. And here's the final question, which kind of relates to most of the people we interview. What would you say to someone who you know listens to you, saw your career, and they want to become a developer? You may even get these questions now. I, I would say go for it. Mm -hmm. Don't stop. But I would tell them to build themselves up properly. I mean, position themselves properly before they get into it. Because um, you don't realize how hard it is to be a developer. You don't realize how much you have to deal with as a developer. It's one thing to say you're a developer, but it's another, you know, if I was an architect, I was designing a building, all due respect to every architect. They make our buildings look beautiful. They, they basically bring it to life. But as a developer, you have to be basically in some part, all of those consultants plus a financier plus um, a manager plus 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 and I think they have to first understand what it means to be a developer before they get themselves into it um, it sounds really nice it sounds amazing I love what I do um, don't get me wrong but the challenges that this industry has and this business has um, are things are, are not things for us to sort of um, take lightly um, and I think people should go into this business and this industry with an open eye mm. and understanding all the struggles that they have to go through and um and go for it um so, go so for it <laughs> you know what this has been an eye opener for me and i've been in real estate for over 30 years so i think when someone asks you just uh, send them the podcast <laughs> okay <laughs> that'll that's be what the, we'll do <laughs> it'll be their education sherry it's been a delight I'm really glad Thank that uh, we connected and i'm going to wish you well with future projects and uh we'd like to have you back sometime see where you're at okay for sure okay. i would be happy to do that and thanks for having me on as a guest um okay. it's an honor um knowing the guest lineup that you have and um, look forward to speaking with you again great thank you sherry we really appreciate it thanks bye-bye bye-bye We'd like to thank Sherry Larjani and you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to reach us, you can reach us one of two ways, either by email, which is info at rewithhd.com, or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.